you know, especially the type of machinery today, where we used to think that, you know, you bought a Bridgeport milling machine, that sucker would be with you for 50 years. Right. Today, you know, you're going to have to reinvest in it to improve its performance, let alone the fact that in seven to 10 years, you're going to, you're going to probably want to replace it because something will be out that's better than, than that piece of machinery doing the job that it's doing. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hello, Metalworking Nation. My name is Jason Zanger, and this is Making Chips, where we equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. And I'm here in the studio with my good friend and co-host, Jim Carr. Hey, How buddy. you doing, Jim? I'm fine. How you doing, buddy? Great. I'm doing great. Yeah, thank you. Another great episode. Yeah, we. Uh, this is an exciting episode. I'm looking forward to this one. I think it's like, what, 70 now or 71? It's in the 70s or 80s. You know, it's yeah. hard to think that we were going to get them, this many episodes done. Who knew? Huh? We thought we would have got tired by now. Well, I am tired. <laughs> I am tired. You're, get, you're getting old and tired, huh? I know. <laughs> but I do enjoy it, so uh, that keeps me going, and yes. thank God for coffee. Yes, there you go. <laughs> I'm actually, speaking of coffee, I'm actually trying to um, wean myself off of coffee a little bit. I know I'm drinking some right now, um, but I'm trying to not You're drink doing as a good much job. in the morning. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't, apparently would you I rather, can't. Would you give up coffee, or would you give up wine? Uh, I would definitely give up coffee first. Okay, for sure. I, yeah. I unequivocally, yeah. I would definitely give up coffee first. Yeah, and and I think I told you this. You know, now that we're on this, like you know, talking about food or whatever, um, I, I have to, I'm supposed to give up sugar. Oh yeah, because like it, any yeah any kind well, of like should. that's a flour issue. type. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, you know. I mean, I weigh 185 pounds, and I'm supposed to stop eating sugar and flour and you know anything that's good. For <laughs> I know it's unfortunate. I know, but you got to take your. The good thing is man. that I can still eat bacon and eggs and steak and all that kind of good stuff. And red wine. <laughs> and red wine. Yeah. Yes, there you go. That's 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 a good thing for you. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, we're not we're not. This is not a food podcast. It is not. So. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> But if you do want to make a dinner reservation for the IMTS show, we do have Jim and I's favorite restaurants posted on Making Chips. So if you go to makingchips.com slash R-E-S-T, abbreviated for restaurant, you could see Jim's top five restaurants and my top ten restaurants. Yeah, I don't know why you got ten. Because uh, I'm special. Uh, I guess. I know. I could easily add five to that. Though. Go ahead. Do no it. No problem. Nobody's stopping I, you. I think I will. I'll have to give it to Ryan and uh, let him update it. Yeah, nobody's stopping you. Do you have any manufacturing news? Of course I do. You know right, how sweet. I always get my manufacturing news. I go to Google, I go to manufacturing, and I look at it every day. And it's kind of ironic with our the, the guest that we have today that uh, I'm going to blow some smoke about uh, what I read on manufacturing news on a daily basis, and hopefully he can enlighten me and enlighten our listeners on, on all of that. Okay, so I've got the episode right here. So yeah. the, the title of the article is Manufacturing is Automated, Hasn't Gone Anywhere. So basically what it's saying is that people are saying manufacturing is back. But what this gentleman from Arizona State University is saying, it never left. 
it's, you know, yeah, we did lose some jobs to China, some of the lower end stuff like, you know, shoes that were being made in the United States might have been brought over to China. But, you know, manufacturing is not gone. It never it never has been. It's just that we're automating so much that the output is going up 50 percent, whereas employment is going Output's down up, 30. No, we're talking over a, a 20 year period oh, okay, of time. OK, so, so the output is up 50 percent. Right. Employment is down 30. Wow. And so even like, you know, speaking of like maybe your lower end manufacturing. So there's the making chips community that makes, you know, we're making precision parts. We but are. Then you then you think about, you know, like a shoe manufacturer or somebody like that. And Ryan mentioned that um, Adidas is actually trying to automate things so much that and wages in China are, are going up um, and they're actually moving their manufacturing from China, China. Back to, to Germany. Germany. Yeah, that's so cool. that's very interesting. I mean, Germany is a big manufacturing economy, and high they're, end, high yeah, end, I mean, they're, that, they're well known they're, for I mean, delivering high high end manufacturing and just yeah. automation. And you know, obviously, they can make some of this lower end product in a very cost effective manner. So this is exciting. It is exciting. We need to do I that here it, in the United States. I, I was, just, I mean, speaking of you know shoes, I actually was just watching a thing. Sorry to cut you off, Jim. No, about I do um, it to you all. You the know, time. they're yeah, they're making socks here in the United States again. Didn't we? Didn't we talk about? We, this we may have, but I just yeah. saw something on the news about it, and I mean, I think it's great. I mean, granted, we're not talking about white athletic socks or anything like that, but maybe we'll get there eventually, where we will have automated things so well that. We can make socks here in the United States. I think that would be amazing. Yeah. So get to getting back, I wish I had the article up again. Fifty percent increase in output over in the output. last twenty years and thirty percent reduction in employment, all because of automation. Yeah. It makes sense. I, I mean, mean we're it, just getting better at what we do of, as well, a manufacturing I would, I would community. Hope we we are, you know what I mean? Interesting. Good stuff. So you want to talk about what we have going on at IMTS? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we are going to be facilitating a two-day workshop. The first one is going to be on Tuesday, September 13th, and that's going to be like a mastermind series where we're going to take applications for manufacturing leaders. They're going to be accepted um, based on criteria that's going to be set forth by us, and then we're going to have everybody there in the night before. We're going to go out to a five-star downtown Chicago restaurant, the next day, we're just going to sit down in that small group of people, and we're going to let it put it all on the table and uh, solve each other's problems. And hopefully, this will translate into a quarterly meeting that will meet quarterly, maybe in in any major city around the country. So yeah, I mean, the whole goal is to you know um, take life. take these manufacturing leaders and take them to the next level. And it's it's all about connecting people into a community. Like you say, community, elevate. yeah, elevate them. Yeah, I mean, in com- community is a is a big key to doing that. It sure is. You know, I mean, you can't you can't do this in a silo. You can't do it by yourself. No, nope. I mean, our community, I mean, they've all been very successful just based on asking questions and pushing each other. And, you know, you're doing this. I should be doing it and just pushing yourself. And you, you need to be able to do that in a community. Can't do that by yourself. You cannot. And then the next day we're going to have a workshop. So it's going to be about 20 to 30 people. We're all going to get together in a room. We're going to bring in the super VIP guests that we've had on the show over the last 70 episodes. We're going to bring them in as keynotes, as people to facilitate uh, what you said it the other day. Well, we're just going to put pen to paper. Tangible yeah. stuff. You're going to have output once you leave that workshop. And a lot of things that we've talked about on making chips, you're going to have something actionable to bring back to your company. Yeah, that's going to be a great, great day. And then the follow up with a high-level manufacturing cocktail party. 
after that, it'll all be all inclusive and, uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be a so lot of fun. It is. So book a day extra. If you're coming to Chicago for IMTS, book an extra day. Sign up with us. We'll have the website hopefully up soon uh, where people can go on, apply, and um, register. Yeah. And so tell me about registering for IMTS. Super easy. IMTS.com. Yeah, because they, I mean, we're you and I are already registered, right? We are. We are. I would recommend if anybody out there is thinking about going or coming into Chicago for the show, that they better, A, register right now, and B, go on that site on imts.com and go to the hotels that they're collaborating with because they're highly discounted and they're available. If they wait until July, there's not going to be any hotels available in the entire Chicagoland area. They're going to have to go out to O'Hare to get a room. And, and you don't O'Hare want to do is that. not in Chicago, it's by not, the way. It's way, 30 yeah, it's, minutes. It's far away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 30 minutes away. You don't want to stay there. Yeah, so you want to be in the city. By all means, do this. It's discounted. I know there's a free shuttle that'll take these hotels that are collaborating with IMTS. will shuttle you back and forth from McCormick Place to your hotel all day long. If, if one of our listeners can't find a hotel room, can they stay at, at your condo? Right here? Yeah. River North? Yeah. Uh, is that okay? We'll, we'll talk. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. If it, and yeah. this is this is going to be that could get a little tricky. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually going to be one of the biggest, um, from a square footage standpoint, the biggest IMTS event ever. So it is. Um, IMTS used to take up the majority of McCormick Place, but I think that they're going to be pretty much max, if not using a hundred percent of McCormick Place, yeah. all you know, almost all of it. I mean, they're going to be, I think, in every pavilion. You're at um, nine. Just because they've expanded, yeah. So I mean, they've got you know specific uh, areas for 3D printing. They've got this. Hanover Fair that's taking over the West Building. Um, No, but I bet if you go to imts.com, we can find out. Uh So, and they've got an an automation area too. On that one. Anyway, get registered. Yep, right now. Don't do it. Do it right now. Right now. Right now. Press pause on the podcast. Boom. Get it done. What else we got? Well, I want I want to share with the listeners that uh, we talked about uh, three four weeks ago that I uh, engaged with Elena Valentine from Skill Scout to do a culture video for our part time. Office manager position. Okay. Yeah. And it, I have to tell you, it, it was a little different, um, big change up. You know, my dad would never think about doing something like that. But I've been getting minimum applications with maximum responses. So what I mean is, instead of getting 50 emailed PDF resumes, resumes you got to go through and right. spend hours got, going, yeah. Uh, I got 11 people that signed up to the site. That, that are more highly qualified, probably. Well, I, I, I think that they're going to know. They're going to see me talking. They're going to they're gonna see my facility. They're going to see the work environment they're going to be in. And it just cuts through the fat right away. And um, I have an interview with a lady on um, Tuesday, as a matter of fact. So um, hopefully it'll go well. And... Uh, See, so the next thing, the next thing is I'm gonna I'm gonna probably do a culture video for a CNC machinist. That should be interesting. Okay, what what, what is your culture? What is my culture at Car Machine and Tool? Yeah, are you talking about like my core values? I don't know. I haven't written those yet. Well, I'm just you know, I know it's you just have. a general question. Well, it's it's definitely a team effort. I okay. mean, at the end of the day, one person cannot run the company, right? right? You you need everybody in all the elements of the business to make it happen. Right, all hands on deck. All hands on deck. I I can't do everything. I can't do sales and marketing. I can't do PR. I can't do, 
you know, the administrative work. I can't run the machine. So you have to have a team of people that are in specific roles. And we do meet at Car Machine Weekly in my small company. And we talk about production. We talk about quoting. We talk, I talk about things that I've quoted and things I've lost and, and why I lost the job. And we try and share our ideas and thoughts on how we're going to make the business better. So does, it, does that answer your question? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. But we'll have to work on that, huh? Maybe, I, maybe, I think so. maybe as a part of the workshop, that, that might be something that um, that'd that be a great be a part idea. I'm, I'm confident that I could learn something at that workshop from you, from any of the people that are going to be attending it, and or any of the VIP guests that we're going to invite in. Okay. So, what anything going on with you personally outside of business that you want to talk about? Uh, oh, well, kind of, kind of crappy news. Um, my mom had a stroke. Um, couple weeks ago yeah I'm sorry. on Mother's Day. Yeah, it was pretty tough. Just uh, you and all the, all the listeners out there, uh, just keep me in your thoughts. Um, it, was, it was tough. You know, uh, she was supposed to show up at our house, and uh, she never did. So we took a drive out to hers, and there she was. But anyway, she's doing well. She's recovering better than we thought she would. Um, she's got some, a little bit of right-side paralysis, and um, it's going to be okay. She's going home, actually, on Saturday, so... Thank you for uh, mentioning that. Yeah, that's and hard. I uh, mean, that's hard when you get older and you have to start wrestling with those kind of decisions with your, your family. Watch your blood pressure. Her blood pressure yeah. was through the roof. Yeah. So she, if she would have only known. Mm-hmm. So anyway, listen to your body. So you can't eat those sweets. You better not eat those sweets, dude. Thank you. So, Jim, why don't you um, introduce our guest, Bill Strauss? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited that he's here with us today in the studio. I met this gentleman. I Boy, I think it's been... Six, seven years ago, Bill uh, was a keynote speaker at a TMA function, and he brought so much um, positive energy and information to that room of people, and those particularly manufacturers, that um, I thought he'd be a, a, a fantastic and dynamic guest here on the show today to enlighten us manufacturers a little bit about economy, money, and what the hell is really going on out there. Let me give you a little bit about Bill's bio. He's quite credible. He has been working for the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago uh, for 35 years. The Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago is one of 12 regional reserve banks across the United States that, together with the Board of Governors in D.C., serve as the central bank for the United States. Bill is also a member of the NACM, the National Association of Credit Management. That was founded in uh, 1896 to promote good laws for sound credit, protect business against fraudulent debtors, improve the interchange of credit information, and develop better credit practices and methods and establish a code of ethics. Bill is also a certified business economist from the National Association of Business Economics, and Bill received his bachelor's degree from the University of Buffalo and his master's degree at Northwestern University. Both degrees were in economics, so Bill, welcome to Making Chips. Happy to join you. Thank you. So uh, tell us a little bit about your role at the Federal Reserve. 35 years, that's a long time. Um, senior economist. I mean, it's quite impressive. And uh, 
just share with me, Jason, Ryan, and all the, all the listeners out there a little bit about what your role is there and, and how you correspond with them on, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Yeah, so I started the bank, uh, as you mentioned, 35 years ago, shortly after I graduated from Northwestern University. Uh, thought working at the Federal Reserve uh, would be a great stepping stone to something else, and you know, it's been such a very uh, wonderful career. I just never made that additional step. So what the Fed structure, you, you laid it out very nicely. We have uh, 12 reserve banks spread throughout the country. When we were established back in 1913, there was a recognition that the diversity of our economy uh, regionally and uh, industry-wide would necessitate uh, having a broader perspective than just having a bunch of policymakers who hung out in Washington. So they would just have kind of that beltway perspective. So they established these 12 reserve banks around the country. And one of the key tasks of the reserve banks is to keep their thumb on the pulse of the local economy. And each one really tries to focus on what makes their regional bank and their region unique. So when you look at the Chicago Feds District, we have a large share of the states of Illinois, but also Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, and we have all of Iowa. And when you look at what distinguishes this particular part of our country versus others, it's a, as you know, given the, the location in the Midwest, very strong agrarian sector. But the other thing that stands out is very strong on manufacturing. I agree. Just to give you a sense, you know, we got basically 12 percent of the of the country's population, yet we produce about 30 percent of the vehicles, a third of the steel, uh, over you know the lion's share of heavy machinery. When you think about CAT and Deer, CNH, Manitowoc uh, crane, uh, and the list goes on and on, and all the autos that get made here. Uh, so lots lots of manufacturing in the Midwest. I agree. It, I mean, I, you wouldn't dispute that either, would you? I would, I would no, think the only this other— this is where it's at. This we're, is the, where we're, it's the, at. we're the hub of manufacturing here. Right. Well, how does the Rust Belt, you know, that Pennsylvania, Ohio area, compare to the Chicagoland manufacturing? Well, I mean, Rust Belt. I mean, that's a term. It is a term. It's a yes. term that when I started back at the bank in the early 80s was uh, a loosely uh, given term for— all of the Midwest, uh, not just uh, that area that you seem to be uh, saying is still in that case. And, you know, that's days of yore kind of kind of thing. You know, we're seeing a, a tremendous increase in terms of, of output over time. You go back to World War II, you know, our output is up by over 600 uh, percent, yet employment is actually down over the 70-year period. It is being driven by very strong productivity, and these are issues that are not unique to manufacturing. We have seen this story before. If you went back to the 1870 over half of our workforce was employed in agriculture. Uh, it took that amount of people to feed us. Today, you know, nobody would say that agriculture is a dying industry or that we're not, you know, we produce more food than we know what to do with, and it's a big part of our export for the United States. And yet we accomplish that with just 1.5% of our Workforce. workforce. And to me, that is a huge success. It and is. we're, we're wow. seeing similar trends in manufacturing. Yeah. So, you know, just I'm going to back up a little bit. The Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago is one of 12. Do you, do you know what the other 12 cities are? I'm do gonna, you, want me to, you want me to give it to you? I can give it to you an order if you want. Yeah, I would like you to. Of All course right. he knows Jimmy. He's been working there for I know, 35 years. Well, but I, you know, I thought that would be kind of unique because I want to see it 
yeah, well, regionally. And, and, and if you look at a, your dollar bills, this little seal on there will be the uh, regional reserve bank that's represented. So 1A, the very first, and we're 7G because we're the seventh Federal Reserve District. G happens to be the seventh letter of the alphabet. So we're known oh, as 7G. Cool. So on your bill, if you see a 7G, the seal on that bill will be the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago. So if those of you who want to counterfeit, that's some helpful advice. <laughs> uh, make sure you get that that linked up. Um, so uh, Boston is, is, is one, okay. New York, uh, Philadelphia, four would be Richmond, five is uh, Cleveland, then we got Atlanta. All the majors. Philadelphia. Well, the majors that were established back in 1913, because it's going to get very interesting. Okay. Uh, so we got... Uh, uh, Philly Phil- was the last one. You right. Then we, had the, then we got to seven, which is Chicago. Okay. Then St. Louis, Kansas City, Dallas... Minneapolis, and San Francisco. And, and, and you actually specialize in understanding and manufacturing. Is the Chicago Fed the only one that really has that specialty? Um, I would say yes. I mean, I don't have a, a real strong counterpart. I mean, clearly, if you go to the Cleveland Fed, they'll have people who look at the automotive industry, given all of the uh, dominance of what happens there. Uh, but, uh, no, they don't really have a, a specific specialist like we have in Chicago. Not, okay. At least not that I know of. Okay. And the, and the Federal Reserve Bank, I mean, even though it's called Federal Reserve, it's not actually a government institution You've per done your se. homework. Yeah, so I mean, maybe you can explain, because I'm still a little bit confused, but maybe you can explain that yeah, like, I think that's in really layman important. terms. Yeah, so uh, we are what are what's referred to as a quasi-public institution. We are a creature of the Congress, uh, so we were created, both the Board of Governors in Washington as well as the Reserve Banks, by the Federal Reserve Act, which was passed uh, right around Christmas of 1913. And so the way we're structured is that the Board of Governors in Washington, those employees are government employees. And if you go and want to visit their website, you will go to federalreserve.gov. The seven governors that serve on the board of governors are given 14-year terms. One every two years comes up. So these are presidential nominated appointed positions. They need to be confirmed by the U.S. Senate. So it becomes a bit of a political type of situation because while we have seven openings or seven potential uh, positions, we have two vacancies right now. And while President Obama has put forth a couple of names, the Senate is not moving forward on it, as is unfortunately typical. And I would say in my 35-year career, more often than not, we have not had seven governors at any given time. And things have not stopped. We're still printing money even though you don't have all those people. So we don't have to worry too much about it. We still able to function. If it gets down too lean, especially during the financial crisis, uh, we got down to a point of having only four governors, and oh, okay. the workload became quite extreme. And the concern was that you know maybe you couldn't get all the work done. But uh, we we managed through, and 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 those uh, governors do deserve a tremendous amount of credit. Then we go out to the reserve banks, uh, and those are set up as nonprofit corporations, and so uh, the reserve banks uh, have their own board of directors. Uh, We have nine directors at each of the reserve banks. Three of them are bankers. 
one banker representing uh, larger banks, one representing more regional banks, and one representing community banks, the smaller banks. Uh, then we have uh, people who represent business interests. So you typically want to get people who kind of are knowledgeable about business in the region. So, when, for example, in the past, we've had people who have served from Abbott Laboratories, uh, uh, Middle Steel or Inland Steel back in the day, even before that, president of USG, United States Gypsum. So you bring in a lot of the industries that are very important to the region. And then you also bring in individuals who represent consumer as well as labor interests on the board. So we have these nine individuals. One of the tasks of those uh, nine individuals is to select the president of the Chicago Fed. That president uh, gets a four-year term. It can be renewed, but uh, that's basically one of their one of their uh, things that the board gets to do is to pick that president. So, given that it's more of a business type of decision, uh, it's very rare to not have a president at a reserve bank. And in case uh, they happen to be delayed getting a replacement for a president, the first vice president steps in to fulfill that role. Hmm. Okay. Do you ever have any small business on the on the board of directors? Oh, um, absolutely. We have had uh, some people representing that, but we also have advisory council. So we have an advisory council which covers uh, ag, small business, and labor, mm-hmm. and they meet with us uh, twice a year. Um, in addition to that, I hold uh, four industrial roundtables, bringing in people representing industry in general. So we have manufacturers, but we also have people who build homes, people who supply the power, people who work in the employment sec- segment, um, the banking segment. Uh, so we get a lot of information there. And then on top of that, I also hold four manufacturing roundtables. And with those, that is Great. Restricted That's to those awesome. those who actually produce. I don't want trade association people. No. I want actual company people. So what do you what do you talk about during those those roundtable discussions? Are you just trying Good to get question. an indication of where manufacturing is going or the pulse? I would think the, the pulse is yeah. exactly right because largely we time those around the time that we are putting together information to make an, a decision with regard to monetary policy. So we have a product which is known as the Beige Book. For any of your uh, listeners who'd like to find it, just go to that website I mentioned earlier, federalreserve.gov. This is a document which basically summarizes all of our business contacts and what they're sharing with us, and we publish this eight times a year. And uh, with these meetings, what we're trying to find out is how has your activity level been over the last five to six week period, which is roughly the span between the last time we met versus the previous five to six week period. So we're really looking for a a sense of change, have things accelerated, deteriorated across a wide spectrum of indicators, everything from production, orders, inventories, uh, employment, the things that policymakers would want to know about. I, I think that's a that's a great segue because you know the one thing that Jim and I always talk about is we get so many mixed messages. Yes. So are are we? Is it because we're looking in the wrong places? We're we're looking more to media. I have that, to, tell to tell us and our friends, and we're, we should be looking to what you guys produce. What what, what do you think? This is my number one thing that bugs me about the media, because I'm always perusing the manufacturing news, and one day it's it's gloom and doom. The bottom's gonna fall out. We're gonna go into this. God awful recession, and the next day I read it's it's up 
thirty percent. You know. Well, I mean, I don't care what people say. You know, the the first but, of all, the media's opinion, and it's also biased. Where you know, get, in where one are way they or another. Where that information from? I mean, who's giving it's them? It's certainly not systematic the way that Bill has described the way that the the Fed gets their information. Yeah, and, and, please and, elaborate. And, and, and if you do, in fact, look at the beige book, it only well, first of all, it only comes out eight times a year, so it won't be quite as a frequent type of upsy downsy thing. But you will tend to hear more of a consistent story. Uh, it's rare that we see up 30% one beige book and down 30% the next time. That, that's usually not the type of reports that we tend to get. Um, it's more of just where things are in general moving to, moving to. Part of the frustration, I appreciate it, is the fact that the growth rate of the U.S. economy since the middle of 2009, when we have began to grow, uh, has been all in all very moderate. I don't want to say weak, but it's been disappointing. I would agree with that. Um, I would agree with that. You know, and you're we, referring to the overall economy, overall not just Manufacturing. Uh, so I can talk about manufacturing once we get the overall economy, because ultimately you build stuff for the economy. Yes, you do. And Absolutely. if the economy is not growing very rapidly, uh, and this has been the weakest uh, expansion that we have seen since the Great Depression. Um, really. And uh, but the growth has averaged about 2.1 percent. Uh, so this is a trend growth rate, but trend growth is really uh, not been conducive for risk taking. So when you think about manufacturers, am I going to buy that piece of equipment? Yeah, you yeah were am I going to spend a quarter of a million dollars or three quarters right. of a million dollars? You know, that's I mean, right. That's a big decision, it right? Uh, and you're not going to buy that if you think that it's going to sit idle, because you know you're not buying it for its looks. You want to actually utilize this piece of machinery. You got to have it. You know, especially the type of machinery today, where we used to think that you know you bought a Bridgeport milling machine, that <laughs> sucker would be with you for 50 years. Right. Today, uh, those machines that get purchased, you know, you're going to have to reinvest in it to redo its brains to improve its performance. Uh, let alone the fact that probably you're going to figure that in certainly probably seven to ten years, you're going to you're going to probably want to replace it because something will be out that's better uh, than than that piece of machinery doing the job that it's doing. Yeah, well, I, you know, first of all, I appreciate that you actually know what a Bridgeport is. And, yeah, and you were in the Federal Reserve, I, so I, kudos I, to you I, for I that. Actually, yeah, I actually, you actually d- ran one uh, in high school. That's great. That's great. Nice. And, you, and you did mention that you do visit IMTS every time it comes around, so you you are familiar with the machines. And I, and I think that's a great point that you know investing in a Bridgeport, even you know. 20, 30 years ago wasn't as big of an investment no. as, in, as investing in like this, like I said, three, three quarter, half a million dollar CNC machine. And, you know, but you, a lot of times you have, you have a lot less, well, not a lot of times, all of the time you have a lot less labor to produce parts with that more expensive yeah, machine. Yeah, so so we, the we, cost is going you, into the machine is less than the people. Yeah, you need to take that into account, right? Because, yeah, three quarters of a million dollars is a lot of money. But, you know, when you think about what that machine can do, how many bridge ports uh, would need would you need to basically replicate its pr- its production? And well, its you can only spin that crank so fast. Exactly, and so you need and plus the kind of of, of machinists that you would need back then were artisans. Yes. It would take you five years at a minimum to basically uh, come up with a skilled machinist. Those were the kind of people that when, you know, God forbid you had a war, uh, they were exempt from being drafted because yep. they, they were the ones Isn't that— Isn't that amazing? Uh, I know. And, He's and, right. And that and that has changed quite a bit. So now, instead of having these artisans, uh, we need to have people who are much more knowledgeable about computer programming. If you look at a CNC keypad, I mean— I could look at it. I'm a pretty smart guy, but there is no way I could ever think about 
doing something with that because of how complicated and confusing that pad looks. I would need to be trained. But you can train somebody probably in, in well less than half the time to be quite competent uh, than what we had in the past. Absolutely. You said that brilliantly. I, I could I cannot add anything to that at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the metalworking nation is going to be thoroughly surprised that the Federal Reserve actually has somebody that is there knows as an economist stuff. that really knows his stuff. So that, that is impressive. It's imp- so how, how, do, how do you see the future of manufacturing? Because, I mean, it, it the signals we're getting are so mixed. I mean, you just said the trend growth. We're just getting trend growth, two, 2.1% over the last how many years? Uh, well, so now now we're about to complete our seventh year of the yeah. expansion. At the end of June, we enter the eighth year. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I It's been pretty static. It's been 2% a year. 2.1. 2.1% per year. Which is roughly what we think of as trend for the U.S. economy. So it's when normally, you know, for example, uh, if we went back to the 1980s, you're talking about the Rust Belt. Oh, right. Um, we are, uh, right now, if you summed up the level of GDP compared to where we were back in 09, we're about 15% larger. In the 1980s, our growth over the same period of time was not 2.1%. But 4.7 percent, more than double. Uh, Now, trend growth was higher, but still we exceeded trend an enormous amount. And our economic pie that we can slice up among the U.S. populace increased by 35 percent, not 15 percent. So that was a very vibrant recovery as compared to this more, you know, slow pace. And I think we're seeing that reflected with regard to the stagnant wages that uh, we've, we've been experiencing. And I think that's largely reflected in the frustration that a lot of Americans have, and especially in this political year of ours. So why don't, why don't we close out this episode? Um, the best way to get hold of Jim and I, of course, is LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, Instagram, C-A-R-R. or just call us and, and ask us a question. We'll, we'll I got play, that number. We'll play your voice on making chips if you have a question for us. Yeah, Go ahead, Jim. 312-725-0245. Did I do good? You did well. Thank you. Bam. Bam. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear, and we'll see you next time on Making Chips.